We're ready. Does one of you want to start with a prayer when we start? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Sure. You just let us know, Mel. This is legitimately more people Are we than live? Expected. Nice. Are we live? Oh, there we go. Sunday, we go. Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Welcome, one and all. Thank you for showing up. I'm so glad people came to this, even though I specifically asked many of you just to come to support us, but uh, I think that some of you actually listen. Is that right? There's signs out there. I stand with Gorp. <laughs> Gorp, shout out for Gorp. Oh, man, baby. shout Let's out for Gorp. 50% styrofoam, 25% metal, 100% indestructible. Yeah, absolutely. Are these relatives of yours or actual? No, that's Michael. No. Yeah. Okay, that's shout Michael from Michael. UCLA awesome. who just came up to us before the podcast and, and told us. Drew and Carter, can you Stuff hear us Stuff we already knew, which is how great we are <laughs> and how much we've changed his life. Hey, but Drew actually, Hinnish, can you hear us? All right, we're trying to talk a little louder. Okay. You want us to talk louder? Is this good? Can you hear us? Ladies and gentlemen, I just wanted to first say thanks for coming, but yes. Drew Hinnish in the back, that is the quick check-in Drew Hinnish, a celebrity in our midst from the podcast. Long-time right listeners so. will re- remember that yeah, give him a round of applause. There you go. I also want to thank all my uh, students from UIC, the Newman Center. Coolest kids here at Seek. Except also the for biggest. the big shout out to mm. Southern Illinois University Edwardsville that are here. There's a the flag. Nice. Big shout out. Thanks uh, for coming. Hey, JP2 crew, where's the flag at? <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. And anybody interested, before Mike gets a, Father Mike gets any shout outs, Anybody that wants an adorable one-inch sticker that goes perfectly on the back of your phone, check out this table back here. Back of Sire and Sister Diane Collins, also from the JP2 crew. They are, are no walking longer away. at that table. I yeah. can't see them. Awesome. They have little bags with the stickers. Anybody that wants them, don't all get up at once. You may have and those. I want to give a big shout-out to my crew. It's just my sister, Mary <laughs> Margaret. <laughs> are you? There she is. Yeah, she's oh, still she's here. Still I right, thought awesome. she would have left by now, honestly. <laughs> Thank you, Mary Margaret. She was waiting for the shout-out. Yeah, now she's leaving. All right, does one of you guys want to start with a prayer, which is what we normally do? I got it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Jesus, thank you for this opportunity, this time to be together. Uh, thank you for the conference and the time to get to know you better. We pray for um, all those people here who need to know your love in a deeper way um, tonight, the remainder of this time. Just uh, thank you for all the blessings that you continue to give us. Please bless our conversation. Thank you for this friendship and all the people here. We ask your blessing over them, and we'll pray through Mary's intercession to to guide us always and lead us all um, to heaven and help us to become the saints that God created us to be. Hail Mary, full Full of grace, the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Father Oaks, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, I do want to give one more shout-out before we begin. Brooke and Father Kevin Earlywine for their support. promise I give you that shout-out there. Thank you, Brooke. All right. There's yep. so many cool people here. There's so many cool people here. One more shout out to if you're looking for like the other two great podcasts out there. I'm going to tell you this is their ground floor here. You can start listening before um, a lot of people. Whatever happens, happens from SIUE and bold moves for real life. You can check it out on iTunes. Great podcast. All we had on the list was shout-outs, so is there anything else? <laughs> that about wraps it up, right? <laughs> no, I think that, uh, I don't know about you guys, but this conference has been very edifying and uplifting to me. Um, I was a little bit nervous. I feel relaxed right now, although I was nervous all week waiting for this uh, 
hour with you guys podcasting in this penalty box thing that we're in. Um, but I was kind of half expecting, part of we, when we talked about this, Father Mike, a little bit, half expecting that there would be a, at least a few people that would see at least my name tag and say, wait, are you Father Connor from Three Dogs North? And uh, that really didn't happen except twice. Uh, it's got AJ from Damascus Ministries. They over there? There he is. All right. He was the very first. On the first night, I was like, oh, gosh, this is going to get old. He's, he, he's one of two all week uh, that's come up to me. That and uh, him and Zach, uh, Gerald, who's a focused missionary, he also came up to me and said, hey, oh, yeah. are you Father Connor? And we had great conversations. Um, but I, I guess I discovered that I'm not actually at all famous. Um, yeah, well, and mine was extra difficult because mine is <laughs> Father John Michael Metz. Oh, man. Which nobody knows me by. Right. So I had multiple people ask, is that your real name? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah it, is. it is. So I was definitely not identified. Mm-hmm. So I was actually Brian Roberts right there in the front. He had me. Yeah, he saw me. I think I met him actually last year at SLS. That might have been it. Yeah, we're not that famous. But, but you know who is everybody. really famous? Yeah. And this is undoubtable. Father Mike Schmitz is really, really famous. That is so true. And I'll tell you this. Uh, the most famous I felt all week was actually this morning, uh, heading down to Mass. And uh, it might have been yesterday now that I think about it, but I was kind of late, and I get to the elevator, and uh, there is Father Mike Schmitz, just me and him waiting for the elevator at the Weston Hotel. And uh, I said, oh, hey, Father Mike. I'm Father Connor. Nice to see you. Like we were old friends, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> And we just started talking after I got over the kind of starstruck thing. And I was asking him, you know, he's a chaplain at a Newman Center up at University of Minnesota in Duluth. I'm a chaplain at a Newman Center in University of Illinois at Chicago. And so as peers and colleagues, we were just kind of like chatting about, you know, what do you guys do at your Newman Center? And sort of getting the skinny. He's been a little bit more experienced than I am uh, at this job. And then uh, the, the elevator doors open, and there's a group of, like, seek goers in the uh in the elevator and of course they all look out and there's father mike schmitz and all of them are like oh and there's me (laughs) just kind of talking to him and uh and we get in the elevator and everybody's just kind of quiet and we continue our conversation like nothing's going on and i'm that's the most famous i felt all and i (laughs) i wasn't trying to use Father Mike at all. I'm just respecting him as a person. But at the <laughs> same happened. time, it was very present in my mind that the people in this elevator are thinking, like, that's Father Mike Schmitz. Who is that guy that he's talking to? And like, are they buddies? Is that someone I should know about? But no, it's just me. Anyway, that's as famous as I felt. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's been the best moment of the conference so far? Oof, confessions last night were unbelievable. And actually, I I mean, just to, you know, sort of what we do on the podcast is we talk about just what's happening straight up in our lives. Um, And I was actually talking to Father Connor a little bit earlier and was just noting on how odd it is for the nature of how we generally podcast is totally by ourselves, secluded, and we kind of act like we're just in a conversation. Mm -hmm. And that was part of the spirit of the podcast was we just wanted to converse about our lives as seminarians and priests and allow people to listen in, but not be able to see them. Right. (laughs) To create the illusion that people aren't actually eavesdropping on our conversation so that it's more natural. That's the whole idea of objectify the subjective. Yes. That you're... The, in the intro, we're objectifying, we're making an object out of something intersubjective that's like persons talking, but then you put it in a recording and then you put it out on the internet and anybody can just do whatever they want with it. Now it's at your disposal. So now I'm, inter- I'm explaining that intro. But uh, I always said if the internet was a place, it would kind of look something like this is how I always Im- imagine the internet is that like a few people are talking. And then there's a bunch of people just staring at them, listening, <laughs> or, or like reading what they're writing or, or whatever. This is the internet if it were a place. Yeah, and it's, it's literally happening right now. Yeah, and now like, it's really, really hard to have a natural conversation because I can see you looking at us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so to, to Rob's question. There you go. Is, <laughs> would, you're just gonna Actually, I had a couple more things that, about that. Thank you, that thank you for those Take thoughts, Father Connor. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, we'll get back to the question. Don't All right. touch my list. So, 
Um, so I was just thinking about the podcast and uh, just doing a little bit of praying beforehand, like immediately before coming down here. Came from a, a talk, went to the chapel, and was just telling the Lord, like, hey, I just want to be authentic. And part of the deal with these conferences is you see big stages and bright lights and Father Mike Schmitz and Sister Miriam and these big mm-hmm. names in the Catholic world. And we're all sitting there looking as one of 17,000 who are hearing these unbelievable stories. And there's such this temptation to say, like, how, what is that like to be the stage guy mm. and there's, or the stage gal, the stage sister, the stage father? And that's a, a temptation that, like, I, I, can't, I can't even entertain, nor do I really want to. And so throughout the week was just trying to constantly give that to the Lord and any nervousness or anxiety that came with it. <laughs> so... I'm bringing that to the Lord in the chapel just before coming down here, just wanting to be authentic and true. Um, and sure enough, as I'm sitting there praying, just finished daytime prayer, like just a, a seeker, mm-hmm. someone who is here at Seek, comes up and just asks to, to have a little bit of my time and enter into one of the sacraments. And it was incredibly powerful and beautiful. Mm. And it was right there in front of the Blessed Sacrament in the chapel. Mm. And Right from that moment, like the Lord just said, "Hey, dude, you're my priest. It's about me and yeah. you, this relationship with Christ, and just stay there." Uh, and so I got to come down to the podcast, and uh, like right from that moment of mm-hmm. a very powerful encounter with a with a seeker. Mm-hmm. So the Lord heard my prayer, answered it, was with me right before coming down here, um, and it was just a, a very concrete experience of knowing that God's going to provide. Uh, so I'm super stoked. Like he's, he's been very good the entire week, but that was a great moment for me. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. It's yeah. cool to be here as a priest. This is my first C conference as a priest. I think this is my sixth one overall, like from being a student, a missionary, and then a couple when I was at, um, Mundelein. And so it's awesome to be here as a priest. Confessions were great last night. Um, really, really powerful. Yeah. And then, but the masses, man, have been really awesome. Yeah. So I had this this morning, well, I was standing next to you, and at one point, um, yeah, during the Eucharistic prayer, I just, I turned around for um, like two seconds and just saw, yeah, like 17,000 people kneeling in front of our Lord. And it was, gosh, man, I don't, I think one of the priests must have had an onion or something like that because my eyes started watering, which was weird. <laughs> And um, really weird, but it was just, it was really, really powerful. And then, like, the front, uh, it was towards the front, but I just, I saw this row of people, and it was, it was, like, several students, um, but then, like, a few, yeah, like, a little bit older people, and then, like, this group of sisters, and the, the age range of the sisters ranged, like, greatly, um, from look pretty old to, like, really, really young. And it was just, it was so powerful to see them all kneeling together, especially with the sisters, like, right there in, in the mix of it. Um, and I thought of, um, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast or, or not, but I thought of when we went to Normandy in France yeah. and the American Cemetery there. Yeah. And if you go, I don't know where it is there or anything like that, but um, I think it's Teddy Roosevelt Jr. is buried there. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's uh, Teddy Roosevelt's son was a general in World War II, and he died in Normandy. He didn't die on D-Day, but he won the Congressional Medal of Honor for his service on D-Day and, like, leading his men how he did. And then he actually died of a heart attack uh, a, few, a few weeks later. And so it, it lists him as a general, and then his, his lettering is in gold because he won the Medal of Honor. Well. And then on each side of him, it's just like, random, um, like, lieutenants, or I think one was a private, one was a lieutenant. And it didn't seem to have any significance or anything like that. And I was just, I, I just remember that, that image of, of being there, of how, I just remember thinking, like, that's how that should be, of, like, these guys laid to rest together. Like, mm-hmm. this, this full-on general, the son of a president, who won the Medal of Honor, and is buried like just with like with his men um, because he gave his life for this, and yeah. So at that point, like I saw those sisters and like just these people with like with these students here, and um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the image that will will c- come with me from 
from the conference of like, that's what it should be, man. We should, every mass should have 15,000 people at it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it would take a lot longer. That is true. <laughs> Communion especially. Yeah, a couple things uh, sparking there. One, what you said, Matt's about um, the priesthood. Uh, yeah, because I'm, I'm joking about it, but I am kind of also sincere that there, there is something in me that wants to just be known as Seabisk, you know? Like, I'm special because I'm me. Hey, I want you to know I know you as Seabisk. <laughs> yeah. You are But not mo- most people don't know me as Seabisk. When I walk around, they're just like, oh, there's another priest. And actually, a couple times, I, to my shame, there have been people that, like, start walking over to me and, like, oh, Father. And I'll think, like, oh, here we go, finally. <laughs> Somebody knows me. <laughs> and they'll say, like, hey, can I go to confession? And then I'm, like, immediately caught in, in my own pride and, and vanity, but also called to this deeper fidelity of, like, what's really actually special about me is that God's called me to this vocation to be for other people. And... Um, the most powerful moments to me so far at Seek have been that, um, like last night hearing the confessions of, of a lot of people um, and feeling like a priest. And to be honest with you, if you've listened to us, especially over the summer, talking about this kind of long summer in the priesthood, uh, a lot of bad stuff, uh, and feeling kind of like, okay, am I crazy? Why did I do this? Or, or you know, like, what, what is this really about? And is this really about taking care of people? Because it sometimes doesn't look like that. Um, and we talk a lot about fatherhood, and people call us father, but do we really, do we really show up for people like that and protect them and, and provide for them like a father would? And uh, at a time like this, in a conference like this, you look out, and I forget who said it, if it was at the priest dinner last night before confessions or one of the masses, one of the bishops said, that looking out at 17,000 people kneeling uh, in front of the Eucharist or co- going to mass, people that are young uh, from our generation, it, it gives you hope, and it's like, okay, I'm not crazy. Like, people think that this is worth something. And even if a lot of people go home from this and they forget about it and they go back to their old life or, or whatever, and this is the mountaintop experience, like, something here is happening. God's moving. And something just little, like, uh, that happened to me, I did finally find this place where the priests are hearing confessions, and there's lines all day long, and whatever priest wants to go in there can go in and hear confessions. So I did for a little bit uh, today. And one of the last ones I heard, um, the guy comes in with his little one-year-old daughter and clearly had nowhere else to put her, so I just brought her in. It's not like she's going to spy on the confession. So uh, she's just sitting there in his lap. And uh, at one point he had to get up and go get her because she was kind of running around. And I was like, um, she was just adorable little girl. And she had like looked at me with these googly eyes when she first came in to the, sit down for confession. And I was like, uh, can I hold her, actually? And he's like, oh, yeah, fine. And she kind of calmed down right in my lap as I'm sort of, like, giving him counsel or, or whatever. And then uh, hmm. and I switched her over to one knee to give him absolution hmm. and then gave him his ba- baby back. <laughs> and uh, it, I don't know. There was something profoundly uh, good about that. Um, you know, like, we putting our money where our mouth is with the, the whole father thing, you know, because um, it's easy to say, but it's, it's a lot harder to do. So, yeah, Rob's wearing an SIUE dad shirt that one of his students got him. No, the <laughs> freshman ladies of SIUE gave me this shirt. So they're right out there. Yep. So, yeah, it's my first seek as a – it's actually my first seek ever. They used to call it Focus Conference when I was uh, a youngin' like y'all. Um, Woo-woo. But it's certainly my first Focus Conference as a, as a priest, and it's – it's money. So, so that does remind me of my first focus conference as well, which was down in Orlando. I think it was 2013. Oh, that was our first year at Mundelein, right? That was our first year at Mundelein, yeah. Yeah, which <laughs> was a very different experience than this focus conference. Um, so I was 22, and I was fresh out of college, and I was a seminarian, and I came down to work like we had an Atlanta booth or something like that in, in what would be the missions room. And just to kind of juxtapose it to my experience here, which has been so good as a priest and living into that fatherly identity and getting off my keister in the classroom and being able to actually do some priest stuff, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but I showed up to the Focus Conference, never had any experience with Focus whatsoever, and I'm 22, fresh out of college, just started living into the promise of, of celibacy. And I show up to that conference, and 
I was angry the entire time for like five straight days because here's 22-year-old immature celibate Mike roaming around like three, 4,000 holy, beautiful women, mm. and I had no idea what to do as a celibate. Like mm-hmm. I, was, I was trying to learn how to relate to them. And You're supposed to shut your eyes. <laughs> I did. I went to the chapel and just mm-hmm. like stayed there. I said, yeah. I, I'm so angry at all of you beautiful women. <laughs> All of you go away. The fact that you exist kind of just is obnoxious, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I was, yeah, and I didn't know, I, I, at the time, I didn't really understand why I was not having a great time. I was, mm. I, I'm a hyper extrovert. I love talking to people. I love meeting new people. And then I realized a little bit later, reflecting on I'm like, everybody there is like a beautiful young lady. Mm-hmm. This is tough. So being able to be here as a priest and to have, I mean, really, this, the seven years to learn how to love Mm-hmm. In, in a celibate capacity, mm-hmm. um, it's like the opposite side of it, that that promise has allowed me to enter into loving relationships here in a totally different way that I would have never been able to experience otherwise. Mm-hmm. So you have the painful experience of celibacy on one side, and then the, the capacity that it gives you to love in this deep, deep way as a father, like in confessions, mm-hmm. like these really personal, intimate encounters that we have, um, and thanks be to God, this one has been a lot better. Yeah. I'm not angry at all this week. I'm just happy. Yeah, only happy. Stop me if I t- told this story, uh, but it reminds me of when I went to visit a Catholic high school, and they would ask me to give a vocations talk, and um, I was with another seminarian. And we gave this talk, and uh, one of the kids said, uh, oh, I have a question. And um, I said, okay, what's your question? He said, well, basically, like, all of us guys that, like, we're 18 years old, and all we really think about is, like, uh, eating, sleeping, and girls. Like, I can't imagine being a priest and, like, <laughs> not having sex. And uh, I was like, okay, um, what's your question? <laughs> uh, he's like, well, how do you do it? Like, you know, like, you're just not into girls or whatever? And, and I was like, well... I think that, uh, well, I hope that at some point you and, and the rest, it was an all-boys high school. I was like, you and, and the rest of the guys here are get to a point in their life of maturity and spirituality and just being a human being that you don't put women in the same category of object <laughs> as food and sleep. Um, like, at, at some point you see them as persons, like other people that have their own independent thoughts and, and feelings and desires. Uh, and that you're to love them. Objects are meant to be used. People are meant to be loved. Uh, and that's the short answer, is that whether you're a husband and a father or a priest or a single person, you don't get to use people, period. And uh, that's kind of a hard lesson to learn, and it sounds like to me what maturing into celibacy looked like is being able to be around a lot of beautiful beautiful people and uh, yeah. just love them as human beings and be like grateful to God that these beautiful people, some of whom become nuns, you know, yeah. and give themselves totally to Jesus. Uh, you know, like, the, to me, the two most powerful talks so far have been Sister Bethany Madonna and Sister Miriam James, who just crushed it. Yeah. And uh, there are these beautiful women who have given themselves totally to Christ and, like, beautiful inside and out and just radiating this joy. And not a word came out of their mouth that you didn't believe they believed. You know what I mean? And... Um, Praise God, that's that's amazing. That was my first. I had never heard Sister Miriam before, and Same. I was, it was so awesome. It was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so what else, guys? What else do you have? What's on that list? What's on my list? Did you make a list? I already got through it all. Father Mike elevator story. <laughs> <laughs> Which you also can't objectify Father Mike, okay? No, you can't. Oh, what? He's a handsome Not dude. Even. I won't lie. <laughs> What about his the... beard is unbelievable. No, when I was up close beard. with it's him, awesome. oh in the elevator I could like see it glisten. He had obviously just bombed it. Beard <laughs> bombed it. <laughs> yeah, it was impressive. No, I what I've been thinking about a lot is um Well, hang on, real quick. Uh two things. Did Zion Williamson ever email us back? Is Zion Williamson here? Zion? He's yeah. not? Okay, that's no. disappointing. Okay, dang it. Also he when did you sit said... in with the liturgy guys, which I felt was a little annoying. <laughs> Um, we said Father Mike elevator story, and I don't think our Father Mike's marathon story oh, has been never, told on the podcast. That never made it to air. 
Yeah, and I, so this one's worth it, man, to take the time for, yeah. if you don't mind. No, 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 no. I have actually had a couple of people ask me to tell this story, and I've told it a couple of times, so I'll, I'll give it my best shot. Um, so I ran a marathon in October, the Chicago Marathon. It was a terrible idea. <laughs> I completely regret doing it. Um, that's not entirely true. I was glad to support the sisters, and I'm glad to say I can that I ran a marathon. That's like a nice accomplishment kind of a deal. But my body was decimated by the training and the actual running of the marathon. Um, so when the day actually came, uh, maybe two days before it, something like that, I heard this epic story from a priest friend in Atlanta. This is... <laughs> I love this. This is awful. So epic story from a priest friend in Atlanta about one of his buddies who ran the L.A. Marathon. And his buddy who ran the L.A. Marathon asked him to pick him up at the end, to drop him off at the beginning and pick him up at the end. And the guy hadn't trained very much, was expected to run like a five-hour marathon or something like that, which is respectable. It's pretty good. I ran way better, but that's all right. So (laughs) uh, he drops him off, and he's waiting around, watching everybody run it and finish it. Um, The marathon is 26 miles, by the way, which is so long, Mm -hmm. okay? So at some point in the middle of this guy's race, well, he he finishes. He finishes an hour early. So he's expected to finish at like five hours. He comes in at four. And the priest shows up to pick him up, and he's like, dude, what happened, man? You hardly trained. You ran an hour faster than you expected. And the guy is this like really holy dad. He's like, yeah, man, halfway through the marathon, I stopped, and I just went into the chapel. And I just knelt down, and I prayed in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And I got up and I felt so rejuvenated that I just got out and I ran the rest of the marathon like it was the start. And so he, he had this like miraculous thing. And the priest's big takeaway was if you give the Lord five minutes, he'll give you an hour. So there's like overabundance <laughs> of Jesus, okay? So I have this story, if it exists, okay, mm-hmm. in my head. As it sounds running, like a made-up story, by the way. It is made-up story. It must be <laughs> because my experience was very different. Let me tell you about it. So I'm at like mile 19 of the marathon, and mile 19 is a horrific mile to be at because that's like definitive wall. Mine was like 19, 20, 20 miles is when I really hit the wall. And it's not like, oh, there's only two and a half miles left. It's like there's another seven miles left, which is actually longer than I've ever ran. Wow. <laughs> I've never run seven miles. Wow. Yeah. So you get to the half marathon mark, and you're, that's 13, mm-hmm. 13.1 miles. Yeah. And I was like, this is so fun. This That's is where amazing. Newman, Newman was right at mile 13. I didn't see you. Well, I was not paying attention mm-hmm. to hardly anything. So I was like, 13.1 miles. This is so fun. 16 miles, you're like, man, this is bad. <laughs> this is and less then fun. 19 to 20 miles, my body was beginning to shut down. Uh, okay, like legitimately, I had failed. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> this is what I'm realizing. Like, this is a mistake. I can't turn around now. <laughs> this is, I've made a huge, tiny mistake. Yeah. It wouldn't make sense to turn around because, like, I'm already, you don't do that in marathons. Mm-hmm. Probably you just would just quit. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't run backwards. But it's also, like, only six miles left. we got to finish. Mm-hmm. I hear 99% of people that run marathons finish. I was just telling, talking to somebody about this. But is that right? That's what I heard. Yeah, which is an, is an intriguing thing. But I get to mile 20. And on the route, you know, it's through Chicago. There are churches all over the place mm-hmm. in Chicago. And lo and behold, I look over. As my body's shutting down, boom, Catholic church. Word. And it's open. Like, the doors are open, and they're kind of <laughs> welcoming people in because so many people come and watch. And so they're all just walking along the streets. That's a Sunday as well. It's a, it was a Sunday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they're, like, welcoming people in, turning it into a type of evangel- evangelization effort. And they're mm-hmm. greeting people to come into Mass. And Smart. there's just tons of people walking around. So it was awesome. So I come running up. And I have no indicators that I'm a priest, mm-hmm. by the way. I'm just a regular dude wearing a hat and some Georgia Bulldog shorts mm-hmm. and the sister shirt. Mm-hmm. So I come running in. And Which at my, that time looked like an atrocity. Yeah, it did look like an atrocity. <laughs> we won't get into that. It's disturbing. <laughs> um, and so I go into the church, and in my mind I'm thinking, dude, I'm going to blow people's mind. Like, I'm a priest, <laughs> and I'm going, I'm like stopping running the marathon oh my gosh. to go and Is pray. Is he really sacrificing so precious holy. seconds to go pray? <laughs> I come in, I'm like, Lord, you are lucky, dude. <laughs> this is insane what I'm doing right now. I can't believe I'm, like, this is the greatest witness of all time. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if 
the entirety of the marathon, everybody converted right. immediately. Or this is definitely this is definitely going to make it into several homilies. This yeah. story. Everybody stopped taking pictures. Mm-hmm. Nobody was taking pictures. <laughs> so I come into the church, and it's like a big, beautiful church. And the priest is processing up the aisle mm-hmm. to start Mass. Okay, so it's a Sunday <laughs> Mass. And it's one of those fools in a church where it's like, there's a lot of people there, but it's not so full that the people in like the front slash middle, if they turned around, you could basically see everybody's face in the church. So it was like, a lot of people, but not so many that the crowd would block out your view of everything. Mm-hmm. So I come in. Again, I'm telling the Lord how awesome I am and how lucky he is to have me. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, we're just going to pray here for a little bit. My body is completely shutting down. So, Lord, <laughs> if you could do that miracle thing, I would really appreciate that. And so, big mistake. <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> so I... Genuflect, and I go to and I kneel down, and I'm on two knees, twenty <laughs> miles into a marathon, totally dehydrated, no fluids in my body, no surprise, I get a double hammy cramp <laughs> while mass is starting in the back of this church, in the middle of a marathon, mm-hmm. like bursting hammy cramps, mm-hmm. so much so that I went from like <laughs> kneeling mm-hmm. to straight prostrate on the ground. <laughs> And so then I'm lying on the ground with both of my arms on my legs like, oh, no! <laughs> and Mass is going on. And there's yeah. a person rolling around yeah. in the back of the church <laughs> with his arms on his legs. Having manifestations. It looks like I'm possessed. Yeah. <laughs> there's no doubt, okay? But then a couple of guys who are helping out in the back, they saw me. They must have seen that I was running the marathon. And mm-hmm. immediately they come over and know what's happening. He's got a double hammy cramp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so these helpful uh, good Samaritans come over and start rubbing the back of my legs. They start rubbing the knots out of yeah. the thighs on, on the back of my legs. And people are walking in and they're like, this is just nothing weird is happening. <laughs> this is normal. They're like, this is not going according to plan. Now I have two guys trying to rub out my hands. <laughs> So I just, I finally, the cramping stopped. I quit crying and yelling mm-hmm. and just popped up and gave like a, a head bow. Yeah. And just <laughs> no more genuflect thing. Yeah, no, and just peaced out. Mm-hmm. And for the rest of the marathon, not only did I run significantly slower, mm-hmm. but my left leg was like permanently cramped. Yeah. So I finished it looking like a pirate. Mm-hmm. Like I had a peg leg because it couldn't bend because it would cramp up immediately. But you joined the 99% and you finished. I joined the 99%. Mm-hmm. I am not the 1%. Yeah. I'm the 99%. That's right. Nice. Yeah. And so my knees are permanently damaged from that, but I can say I ran a marathon? Mm-hmm. Is that worth it? I I would never do it. No. I, I shouldn't don't. have done the chapel visit. Ugh. Maybe just stood, stayed standing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that did not go according to plan. The Lord humbled me. So my big takeaway, I tell like the priest at Mundelein that story, and everybody goes, oh, man, that'll be a great homily someday. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, I'm not going to yeah, talk about... Yeah, but what's about... the lesson? Okay, so this is the lesson. Hmm. By the way, I'm not going to talk about two dudes rubbing out my hammies <laughs> at the ambo. Like, right. okay. You know, we're talking about it here. <laughs> That's true. They but can all like, hear us. Yeah, but it's different than doing this and then like continuing to yeah. talk about whatever and right, then right, saying... Right. Now let's contemplate about the Eucharist. Right. Prepare yourselves to receive Christ. Isn't, isn't this like the Bible in a lot of ways? <laughs> yeah. So my takeaway is quit praying for a miracle and just run. Mm. Like, honestly, and it, that's really cheesy and cliche, so I don't even... Yeah, we got... I detract so that. Not, yeah, yeah, let's... It's too cliche. We'll cut yeah. that up. Cut it. We'll cut that up. Yeah. All right, my thing uh, that I've been thinking about is... Um, Somewhat related, I guess, or it might be if we wheel around to it. <laughs> How but could it be related to it that? It cannot be related that to that. That was pretty not relatable. Um, <laughs> no, I've been listening to this podcast. Actually, Father Scott Harder, uh, we might as well shout out. But I also forgot, I need to shout out. I told Father Nick Blaha that I'd shout out to a couple down in Kansas City, or um, Emporia State, rather. Colin, Connor, Elizabeth Blevins. Colin, Connor, and Elizabeth Blevins, who are getting married uh, in just about a month are huge listeners, and uh, he said they would be blown away if we said their name, so we just did. Shout out. Thank you for the support. Um, no, but Father Scott Harder told me about this podcast that now all the cool people are listening to. Have you guys listened to The Place We Find Ourselves? Of course. Yeah. I, I've never heard of it. <clears throat> it's like a uh, Christian counselor uh, guy who talks a lot about childhood trauma and um, 
uh, yeah, stories and how they affect our implicit memories. And a lot of like psychological, emotional stuff, but he's a Christian. I don't think necessarily a Catholic Christian, but um, talks a lot about our relationship to, with God and how it's related to a lot of stuff we talked about at IPF. Um, mm-hmm like your wounds and the way that affects your relationship with God and your trust in him and your ability to put yourself and your faith into him uh, is affected by the relationships we have in, with our parents or with our siblings, like whether we've been abandoned or um, not loved the way we should be loved. It's hard by our earthly father or earthly mother. It's harder to say, well, God loves me and I can tro- totally entrust myself to him because I've had experiences that lead me to not trust. Like, I go kneel down at a church, and here, that's the related thing, <laughs> that I count on God to give me the miracle I want, yeah. and he gives me two Charlie horses instead. <laughs> um, that trains you. Uh, and so I've just been listening to it and praying a lot with some of that stuff in my own story. Um, but the thing that really struck me that's related, I think, to my experience here at Seek is how our stories often make it hard to hope. Um, so what hope is, is not like optimism. Uh, you just think, it kind of stinks right now, but everything's going to work out, and everything's going to be fine, whether it's in my personal life, in my relationship, in my family life, uh, in the church, or in the world in general, that, yeah, I can see a lot of crappy stuff going on, but I just have faith that everything happens for a reason, and everything's going to work out fine. That's the optimist. That's not uh, hope. What hope is, is... Uh, what he says is that it's a groaning, like a deep longing, a refusal to, to stop wanting what you really want. So let's say your family split up, or there's some deep rift in your family, and you, what you want naturally is for your family to be united, for that stuff to get healed, for your family to really love each other the way they're supposed to love each other, for you to be loved unconditionally, the way that you want to be loved unconditionally, by the people in your life whose love you want the most, your mom, your dad, your siblings, etc. If you have some wound in that, of course, you long for it. Um, that's hope, that you, want, that, you, that you want it. But then an expectant waiting, that, uh, that it's actually going to happen. Like, I'm waiting. It's not yet, but I'm waiting like, as if it's going to happen. Like, I'm waiting in line for a roller coaster. It's, I'm not just waiting. I'm waiting expectantly. Like, Eventually, this kind of thing's waiting, but eventually I'm going to get to the front of the line, and then it's going to be amazing. Um, and what he says is that uh, a lot of times we deaden our desire. Our, we deaden our hope uh, because we're dis- we've been disappointed. And I don't know, that really resonated with me, that we, we, we deaden our hope uh, as a way to kind of like make it safer for us. Uh, we displace our desire onto something a little bit more attainable or something we can count on. This is what happens with addiction a lot of times. So another thing I've been reading a lot about, I'm going back through Gerald May's Addiction and Grace. I'm going to write a talk about that. That um, Hopefully I'll give it a parish in March and kind of put in my arsenal. But just a lot of this, this stuff about desire uh, has really been uh, working its way around my heart. And what I think the biggest trap is is the deadening of the desire justified by piety, saying like, for instance, let's use the family example. I really want my, fam- my broken family to be healed. But um, God's sovereign, and he must not will it because it's not happening, so I just need to get next to God's will and stop trying to tell God what to do. Um, okay, so you just need to surrender because everything happens for a reason, and he must not want it because it's not happening. Or I'm making an idol out of this. I need, to, I need to worship God more than I worship my earthly family or, or something like that. Uh, or that I'll be happy when I'm in heaven. All, not all my desires are going to be fulfilled this side of heaven, so I just need to wait till I die, basically, to be happy. Um, and so it sounds all pious, but uh, what this guy was saying in the podcast uh, is that our hopes, yes, our desires will not be totally fulfilled until we're in heaven. You're not going to have every desire of your heart fulfilled until you see God face to face, who is the fulfillment of all your hopes. It's all, everything you want or you think you want is actually God. He's the purpose of the entire universe. He's the beginning and the end of everything. Um, but he's put in our heart desire for certain things that reflect his love, that reflect his glory, like family, like friends, like a church that's functional and doesn't, isn't you know, like broken like ours is. Um, and so we want those things. It's true that not all of those desires will be fulfilled this side of heaven, but we have no guarantee which ones we're going to have to wait till we die to get. And like, so the Bible's full of people like Job and others 
who really, really want something really bad and keep asking God for it. And, by the way, in the New Testament, Jesus talks a lot about keep asking God for stuff, like that widow who wanted justice and kept asking that judge who didn't care about justice, kept knocking on his door and asking for it and demanding it so that she could get it in this life and not surrender and be like, I guess I just need to not worry about so much justice because that's not as important as just doing God's will or something like that. So all of that is to say that when I look out at this, like at Mass this morning, um, and you just, you know, like the priest, we all go up to communion, and then you can look back and you see just a sea of people going up to communion, all like in their uh, teens or early 20s. Um, I guess what I've believed, I don't know about you guys, but I've believed in my heart sometimes, uh, only being a priest for four and a half years now, you can get a little jaded and think like, all right, well, I guess we're just, the church is never really going to be that important to a lot of people. And it's important to me, and Jesus has changed my life, and it's important um, to do his will. I really want to get to heaven. I really want to be happy, like, in the, in the true sense and not fall for these counterfeit things that the world has offered or my own sin kind of gravitates towards. I want to repent, do God's will, and live the, live the fullness of life. God came, Jesus came to give us life so we can have it abundantly. But most people don't really care. I guess that's the lie that I believed. And then you, you come to something like this, and like maybe this side of heaven, there will be this reflection of the truth, like that, that the priesthood will really be like this. Like I will be a, a father to people that want a father this way, that I gave up a family so that I could be a father to others um, in this spiritual order, and, and that that is real, and that people actually want that, and that the Eucharist is really the body of Christ, and people are starving for it. And that manifests itself in reality, this world, before we get to heaven. And I don't know, just training myself to want that stuff and actually expect it from God uh, is really powerful. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> what, do you have anything on that, Rob? Go ahead. Well, it, it does make a lot of sense, especially when we talk about these conferences as being like the mountaintop experience. And... Uh, sometimes it's used in, a, in like a negative way. Like, oh, it's just a mountaintop experience, and then you're going to go back down and fall into your old ways, mm. uh, which may or may not happen. I have no idea. But I think what these conferences provide for priests and for, for everybody, for everybody that attends, is that th- the hopes and the things that I really, really long for, that I believe that there is a lot of goodness and beauty in life, can actually be realized. And so I think these experiences, they, they kind of, peek our heads through the clouds and you do get a glimpse of not something that's going to come but reality Mm. that it i can hope for that because it is real and i experience it i know that it is real Mm -hmm. Uh, and that was one of the things i i was just very moved by when i went on the focus malaysia trip was that everybody was really afraid when we left that like oh now we have to go back to the real world and there is something about saying this is a mountaintop experience for sure that we do get to see God in this radiant way in the people around us, in the priests around us, in the religious around us, in the liturgy, in amazing podcasts. <laughs> right. We get to see the Lord in all these different ways, mm-hmm. especially the latter. Yeah. You know, but that's not, that's not fake because there are times where we don't believe that, but that it's real. And in the times we don't believe it, these moments are so important that they give our hope life. Mm. They give our hope life when most of the time life crushes it. And, and we have that spirit of disappointment. It's so easy to believe lies to say your hope is not unrealized. It's a lie. Mm. And I think these experiences help us to say, no, that actually is reality. That's real. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do is stay there and return back to those places, return back to those graces. So these moments are things we need to return to. It's not a singular event, but that it's an experience of a person who right. was, who is, and who will be. So staying, staying in that reality, the reality of Christ, mm-hmm. Re- mm-hmm. really there. But that it gives life to hope, I guess. Right. Yeah. I have a follow-up, of the, unless you have something. Go ahead. Well, I'd say the, the other thing that really has been sticking with me uh, when I go to pray in adoration, um, I've been praying better here than at home, too, which is cool. Like, I wanted to really bring a lot of the students from UIC here. Like, we worked really hard to recruit people, and they're awesome. I can see them here. I'm talking mostly to you guys. Um, (laughs) Talk to me, Connor. My eyes are up here. Um, (laughs) 
No, uh, to share this, the what I experienced years ago when I was a college kid and, and just like hearing talks like this that make you think it's possible to live an awesome Catholic life and that it's even desirable, seeing other people living it, having the opportunity to make a good confession uh, in the context of this awesome adoration with thousands and thousands of your peers uh, to share that. But it's honestly been feeding me a lot. And so one of the things that I've been praying with is something Dr. Scott Hahn said, uh, was it the first night or second night? Uh, the, the end of his talk, um, it was a rhetorical question. I didn't really want to know. Is it the second night? Fair enough. Yeah. Is, what, is this the story about when his son puked on him? Yes. Or, it's a great story. Continue. Um, I'm sure if you're, uh, you've heard a lot of his talks, he's probably said it before. But it, the first time I remember hearing it. And uh, so, yeah, that, that idea to kind of wrap up his whole thing about how much God loves us. That's Scott Hahn's thing. Is like, look, read the Bible. God loves us so much that he gave us his own son to die for us. And imagine how much he loved his son, okay? And that's how much he loves you. And he's coming to get you. He's coming to save you. That's the whole Bible. It's a love story. It's a rescue story. Um, he's coming. And you can just tell when you listen to Scott Hahn, first of all, he looks kind of like Santa Claus slash, I don't know, um, some, someone who loves you and is going to give you good gifts. And uh, as he's telling that story about his boy, Michael, who I'm sure is a man now, might be <clears throat> as old as me or older, maybe a little younger, uh, he tells the story about when he was just like a few days old, I guess, and, and he couldn't do anything. His wife had to do all <clears throat> the hard stuff, like giving birth and breastfeeding and all that. He could burp him. <clears throat> so he's bur- burping the baby and feeling him on his chest, and he feels the, the warm puke go down his back, and it's gross. But he so badly just wants to be in contact with this child that belongs to him that he lets it crust up and get cold on his back, and he even sits in a rocking chair and just continues to, to be with this sleeping baby because, my words, I think, I don't think he said this, but he's head over heels in love with this infant child that can do absolutely nothing for him except give him poop in the pants and puke on his back. <laughs> That's all that baby can do. But he is just all about him. That's like his world in that moment. And that's why I'm talking about like this, this Place We Find Ourselves podcast about your story as a child. Like That experience, before you're even aware of your identity as a separate entity from your parents, you are learning implicitly in your biochemistry, your neurons and all that stuff, and down into your soul, that you are loved just because you're you, because you're somebodies. And um, I was just imagining... like. Uh, being Scott Hahn's kid in that moment and hearing him say to 17,000 17, people that when you were an infant baby puking on him, that he loved you that much. And that in that moment, he talked to God on the rocking chair and God told him, it, look at how much you love that boy. I love you so much more. And every one of my children, so, so much more. Um, that, that's what's crazy. And when it, when it comes to the hope thing, a lot of times, like, you do get the two Charlie horses when you expect the uh, second wind, you know? You don't get what you're asking for from God. You think, like, just like when you'd run to your mom or your dad, you didn't get what you want. And it's, a good parent doesn't just give them whatever they want, but they attune. And that's the psychological language. They, they attune to the child. Like, a child's whiny or depressed or sad or angry or uh, hungry. They might not, they, they want a thing, but they're not going to get it, and that's going to make them upset but the mother or the father attunes to them and, and is there with them and sympathizes and understands and through body language and real language says, like, I'm here. Do we expect that from God? That's, the, that's I guess, was my prayer and is my prayer. Uh, is like, can I understand or just be that baby on God's chest? It sounds so corny, but it, whatever. You, you, can I trust that he loves me that much? Hmm. And that even if uh, I have poop in the pants... And I'm uncomfortable, and I'm not exa- immediately going to get a change, right? If I, I'm uncomfortable, something's not going well in my life, uh, or prayer is dry, that he's there attuning to me that he, he cares. Um, and so that's story complete. No, Does that I make think, sense? Yeah, it's been good to, and just in general, like, this is the first time I've kind of sat down and talked about the experience of this conference like this. Like, prayer's been good, and it's been awesome to see a lot of people, and uh, especially to hear stories like from students that I know that have had good experiences, all, all that. Um, but I don't think we podcast this since I've been back from Poland. Oh, yeah. that's right. As yeah, that's well. true. 
Um, and so that trip was awesome. And there's just this kind of confrontation of like this hope that we can speak about the experience here and a story like that, um, which is awesome. But I was thinking of, we visited uh, Auschwitz when we were there, which was, have you guys ever been there? No, I have not. Man, it's just the, like, to, I don't know, the gravity that, that is there. It, I, I was expecting, I tried to, like, prepare myself for it, and it was still um, just, like, unbelievably hard to, um, to be there. And so Auschwitz is, there's, they call it Auschwitz one there, which was the first concentration camp, and then they Auschwitz uh, Beer Canal is like two miles away, mm-hmm. and it's literally just a a killing factory is what that is. They perfected the art at that point, and um, and so they just moved it there. So like Saint Maximilian Kolbe uh, died at Auschwitz one in the died at Auschwitz one in the um, uh, starvation bunker that Sister Miriam talked about. So we got to see that and see a candle that John Paul II had had led there and, and all of that. But then Birkenau is where St. Edith Stein um, was, was killed as, as well. So two major saints. Yeah. But you go there, and we were in the back of, of Birkenau, which, you know, to this day, like, they just kind of left everything that the Nazis had destroyed. And um, so it's just, yeah, this somber, somber place. And there's these, uh, these inscripted um, tablets in different languages that literally say, like, let this be a warning to humanity of what human beings are capable of. Um, and I don't remember the exact quote that is, is on there, um, but let this be a warning to humanity. And I just remember thinking back there, um, I was praying a rosary, and I was just like, man, the world is a really, really, really hard place. And, um, but at the same time, like, I, I really do believe it's sacramental, um, even at a place like this. And it's just this, like, confrontation and, and mystery in all of it. It's like, hope is there, and, like, there's saints there, and there's saints that I'm sure are, are saints in heaven that aren't canonized, that we don't know the names of. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. That's not a finished thought necessarily. Mm-hmm. But it was just, as you were telling that story, and we've kind of been recanting or recounting the... Um, this conference a little bit, yeah, just kind of came up to throw out yeah. there. So if I can poke into that a little yeah. bit, you, so there's the darkness of Auschwitz and, and Birkenau, and yeah. then you said, but I also believe that it's a sacramental, I also believe in the sacramental reality, a sacramental worldview. Absolutely. What do you mean by that in that context there? Well, you just feel it. Like, that's just what was evoked in me when, um, yeah, when I was there, was that like even in uh, a place like this of of seeing what human beings are are capable of and suffering that like frankly I can't really put words on or or understand or anything like that um but I guess I just like was more also convicted than ever in that moment in that place that um Jesus is real and what we believe is is real, and it's not a fairy tale, and it's not, uh, you know, just some great myth to to talk about. But that's something that is actually worth giving your life to, um, completely. And so it's just an interesting experience, like in a month's time, having them both. And it's just powerful mm-hmm. to think about, like, to experience here and to experience hope and um, to see it. But then also to be able to like go back in my own memory and heart to a place like Auschwitz and say, no, actually, when I was there, like I believe that just as much in that moment as mm. as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's grace, you know, that that well, is it reminds me of your Haiti experience, too, Mike. Yeah, I, that definitely was coming to mind. I'm just mindful of what, what time do we actually have to finish, Mel? Ten minutes. Oh, we have ten more minutes. OK. OK, great. Yeah, that's all. Uh, well, it, also, I want to mention we st- have stickers on this table over here. Anybody wants a Three Dogs North sticker? Um, and thanks for the... We also have uh, Pan de Reyes because it's the epiphany right now. Oh, nice. Um, awesome. Hold on. Hey, before we get off of this, yeah. is that it's, it's, such, it's so powerful to see, like, in the entirety of human history of world events, like, those are, that's some of the greatest atrocities ever, mm-hmm. some of the, the darkest evil that humanity is capable of. So much so that we wanted to remind ourselves that this is what you can do. 
And in the basement, the bunker, the deepest, darkest part of the darkest thing that humans have ever done is where a saint was. Mm. Yeah, and maybe that's the desire that's, like, coming up even in um, my own heart from, from being able to chat like this. is just maybe for people to hear, because a lot of people have had um, what we're calling, like, a mountaintop experience, whether it's a seat conference or whatever, whatever else. Like, you can have those in so many different yeah. contexts and and ways. Um, but like, just to hear that, no, like, living, living out your Catholic faith and trusting your life to Jesus, like, that will hold into the darkness. And I, I don't know, like, the words to explain it. Like, sitting outside of St. Maximilian Kolbe's uh, starvation bunker, I, I don't know how to, um, like, explain that in philosophical terms or, yeah, or write a yeah. lecture on it. Yeah. Um, but to go there and to pray and to get to know him better from that experience and, and then to be able to come here and say, yeah, this is awesome as, as well. Or this, this yeah. comp- not as well, but, um, like, this is real, too. Yeah. Um, that's just that's the beauty of our faith in a lot of ways. Uh, this is a corny movie, but I think it, it speak, to me it speaks to what you're saying too. For, on Christmas, my family and I watched this Dolly Parton Christmas, like made-for-TV Christmas special about the uh, coat of many colors. It's Where her. are you going with this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the point of the story is that um, her mother, Dolly Parton's mother, uh, miscarried on like the eighth or ninth child, and oh, it was okay. the one that Do- Dolly Parton. Uh, as a little girl, it was going to be her little brother, or she was hoping for a brother, and um, it was going to be her baby. And she was right at that age where she was really interested in babies and wanted uh, to like make a crib for him and a blanket and all this stuff. And and uh, the miscarriage happened, and um, she was broken, and her mother was broken. And uh, there's a whole big section of the movie where they're just the mother is kind of catatonic like she can't engage even the children that she has because she's grieving so much this loss uh this thwarted hope um of having lost her baby and her dad dolly parton's dad is an atheist or not an atheist but not churchgoer doesn't believe doesn't doesn't like god because um well stuff like this happens and how do you explain it and uh what five minutes and um dolly parton's mom's dad in other words the father-in-law is a preacher and I guess I was, it was a made-for-TV movie, and I was ready for, you know, there, there was that scene where the mother who had lost her baby is going through this grief, uh, and, the, and the father who's questioning the existence of God because of this evil that's happened in his life, uh, you know, bring it to the preacher and bring it like, what, what's up with this? How come God, who's good and powerful, let stuff like this happen? And I was ready for the preacher to, you know, give some reason or, like, well, you don't know, maybe you sinned or something, or God wanted that baby back, or some, some reason for this thing that's obviously evil to have happened. Instead, he just goes, look, I don't know, but I know it's impossible to get through this without him. Hmm. And I thought that was a darn good answer uh, as a priest, that that's really, at the end of it, all I really do know is that, like, you look at Auschwitz, um, or you look at your own personal tragedy, or and that Scott Hahn Scott Hahn image again of the baby on the on the chest, like whatever trauma that you've gone through that you that you've believed the lie that you do, you're not just worth loving or that it's not going to be safe for you in the world because there's evil out there, um, and that that must mean that God is either weak or doesn't care or doesn't exist is a lie. Um, that it's not all going to be gravy, and it's and it really is hard. And especially now, like I've seen a lot of my friends who I went used to go to seek conferences with, and now we're in our thirties, and they're all ha- they're all married or not married, and wish they were married, or they are having babies, or wish they could have babies and they can't. And like some of the complicated, hard things that happen to you as you grow older are happening, and some of the darkness. And like we were bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, looking on into the future, and I'm going to be a priest, and I'm going to go have a million babies, and be a great Catholic family, and all this stuff, and then real life happens. <laughs> and you're like, why? You know, uh, hard stuff, why does hard things happen? That's a good grammar sentence. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know, but it's impossible to do it without him. And that's, I guess, what you're saying is like, you see the glimpse of, like, you don't know what hopes God is going to fulfill in this life, but he's going to fulfill some, so stay hopeful, stay longing, stay groaning for that thing that you want, 
and expect it from God. You know what I mean? Good. Hey, well, I do want to just shift gears before we finish. What do we have, like three minutes? Probably five. I thought Connor would talk way longer. Oh, is so. it five? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Five from now? Mm-hmm. Five from now. I didn't bring the the, the tin whistle. I thought, dang it, dang. I should have put it in my, back, my backpack, and we could have done a little concert as well. I did just kind of comb my mustache with the microphone. Yeah. These are, I probably shouldn't have said that. Yeah, That's all right. has got mustache lice. <clears throat> That's What's your story, true. <laughs> okay, no, I, I did want to say, just leading up to this, um, is that a lot of, well, not a lot of people, we already talked about that experience. A couple of people came up and asked if we were prepared or what we had prepared for mm-hmm. this today. So this is kind of changing gears. I don't know if no, you're good. okay. Yep. Um, and I kind of relished in the fact that I said nothing. Like we yeah. literally had nothing prepared for this today, except yesterday we went and got lunch together. And that uh, we spent like 45 minutes catching up, got to spend some time last night at dinner. Yep. And I saw those lunch lunches together, spending time together, as the legitimate preparation for the podcast. Mm. And um, I mean, I guess I just kind of want to say, like, this is so cool that we get to do this here. Yeah. And yep. like, this was never even hope. No, I, this no. is a, an actual joke that this is occurring. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't believe that we're really here doing this. And people... We did promise to shatter the glass. I don't think Mel would be happy with that. No. Just one? Yeah. All, none of them. That's okay. <laughs> none of them. I kind of think like this is the Later. worst of both worlds. You want either the glass to be gone or it to be curtained so I can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> That's, he doesn't mean that. This is great. Okay. <laughs> but that I, and this low-tech gear, like we're used to really <laughs> high-tech stuff. So the preparation for our podcast was legitimately just spending time in friendship. Mm. And like that has always been the foundation of the podcast is it is simply a fruit of the gift of friendship that God, I think, has legitimately given us. And it's I love I absolutely love doing it. Um, But we came into a live show in front of folks in a glass cage. Mm -hmm. You got stuff in your pants with poop in your pants. It stinks in here, by the way. (laughs) Okay, this is becoming a torture chamber. Um, And we had nothing prepared except for the reality that we have a friendship with Christ and we have a friendship Mm -hmm. with one another. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that we can just get in there and have good conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been a huge part of my own priesthood and my own seminary formation, Mm -hmm. uh, just talking about the faith and Mm -hmm. sharing it. I think, Mm -hmm. like, focus encourages that massively, Mm -hmm. entering into dialogue and allowing the dynamism of conversation Mm -hmm. with the Word to, like, let it explode into stuff. My first good friends were in college, the friends that I'm still friends with because there was a transcendent third in the friendship, in other words, that we were both seeking God, yeah. meant that we were both we weren't just like, oh, I'm friends with you because we're both interested in music or whatever. Um, and so, as long as I'm interested in music, we can do music together. And then, oh, I stop playing the saxophone or start playing guitar or whatever. Now we're not friends anymore. We don't go to high school together anymore. But like my friends from college that I met and things like Focus, Bible studies, um, I worked in the chapel at Newman uh, as a sacristan. Those friends who prayed together, encouraged each other to be holier. Like, I can not see them for... Some of them, literally, that I met here this week, I haven't seen for, like, 10 years. Yeah. And it's like we just pick up right where we left off because we were both we both left each other at 23, heading in the same direction, and, like, hey, we met again at Seek, and look where we are in life. And that, to me, is, like, us four years ago when we started doing this was just, um, hey, I like talking to you guys, and we talk about God, and uh, there's no real topic... I'm not allowed to say that word. I can't believe I just did. Can you did. bleep that out, Mel? <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> but I do, before we wrap up, because we don't have much time left, I do want, if anyone wants to stay and take a quick picture with us, I would love to do, like, one big group picture. And then if anybody wants us to, like, sign their programs or their, or their babies or whatever, we can do that. Um, and please do take, I bought a 1,000 of these one-inch stickers <laughs> because it was the cheapest giveaway uh, and this is a pretty low-budget operation. We've resisted advertising on this podcast for you so that we don't inconvenience you with boring ads, except drink Guadalupe Roastery coffee. Oh, uh, yeah. Coffee for the common good. Uh, and fanny packs. We need fanny packs, right? Just so you know, I did look up slap bracelets. I wanted to make slap bracelets that said silent guest with a little emblem in the middle. 
uh, for everybody. And I thought, oh, everybody was going to be talking about, where'd you get that sweet slap bracelet? And then we'd be like, oh, you don't listen to Three Dogs North. You got to get on, you got to get on it. And then hit them. But they were like a dollar twenty each, and I, you're just not. Well, you are worth it, but it wasn't. I don't have that kind of money. So you get these five cent stickers instead. But take as many as you want. Take them for your friends. Um, God bless you guys. It's seriously crazy that anyone listens to this podcast. I don't know if I think I speak for both of you, that anyone listens and that anyone gets anything out of it because we literally put nothing into it except welcome the Holy Spirit. And, uh, well, I put a lot into it. I I edit it. You do. And I honestly, thanks. Yeah, Yeah, you're welcome. God bless you guys. Thank you so much, everybody listening um, here at Seek. Amen. All throughout the world. The millions of listeners. Thank you, guys. (laughs) Peace. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.